Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. I'm David Hilgen, and I'm really excited about this week's podcast. Our guest was Priya Zachariah. She is the Chief Resilience and Sustainability Officer for the City of Houston. Priya and I talked about the unique challenges that Houston faces when it comes to climate change and severe weather. She explained why social equity plays such a big role in the city's resilience efforts. And we also talked about a collaboration between Zurich and Resilient Cities Network aimed at building climate resilience at the community level in Houston and in other U.S. cities. All this and more in this week's Future of Risk podcast. The city of Houston is no stranger to severe weather risks. Its flat topography, extensive network of bayous, and proximity to the Gulf of Mexico, which can place the city in the eye of a hurricane, make it prone to major flooding. Houstonians in 2017 were the brunt of Hurricane Harvey, which caused catastrophic flooding, more than 100 deaths, and is one of the costliest tropical cyclones on record. So it's no surprise that Houston, the fourth most populous city in the United States, puts resilience front and center. Hello, I'm David Hilgen. Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. Our guest today is Priya Zachariah, Chief Resilience and Sustainability Officer for the city of Houston. Priya's role encompasses more than just bad weather. She leads citywide resilience building efforts to help Houston prepare for, withstand, and bounce back from the shocks, think hurricanes, floods, and cyber attacks, and stresses like aging infrastructure, homelessness, and economic inequality of life in the 21st century. Hi, Priya. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. Priya, this role for you is relatively new, but a lot of people would be surprised to learn that such a position even exists. What exactly is a Chief Resilience and Sustainability Officer? Um, thank you, David. So a, a Chief Resilience and Sustainability Officer is someone under whose purview both of those portfolios come. Um, so that is kind of the portfolio of sustainability as well as resilience. And just to give you a little bit of a, a background, this is a little bit of a, a new role for me. I've been in this position for 10 months and the offices have been combined for 10 months, which is not to say that Houston has not been thinking about resilience and sustainability. In fact, Houston has had a sustainability director, I think for more than 10, 11, or even 12 years. And more recently in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, we had a chief resilience officer. The only difference was that these functions were just located within two different places in the city's yeah. administration. So in 2020, Houston completed its resilience plan. Uh, we call it Resilient Houston, as well yeah. as its climate adaptation plan, which is our sustainability roadmap. And since then, our focus has been heavily on implementation. And more recently, I think this is in response to the mayor's vision that adaptation and mitigation really are two sides of the same coin and should be looked at together holistically. And, you know, it allows us to really explore efficiencies and a lot of streamlined coordination as we think about implementation. And that is one reason these offices have been combined. Um, the big charge that Mayor Turner has put in front of our office is expedited 
holistic and strategic implementation of both the Resilient Houston Plan and the Sustainability Plan. So in a nutshell, that is what a Chief Resilience and Sustainability Officer does. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a description. You've got you've got your hands full, but you're under Mayor Turner and the, the full administration. I think you're in the right place. Houston's been thinking about this for a long time. Priya, you, for those listeners who don't know what those terms mean, can you explain what is resilience and what is sustainability? I think that is an important question to ask just because there is that kind of, you know, um, confusion out there. I will also say that the way that cities organize these functions, there is no right way to do it. But I'm especially proud of the way Houston has defined these two functions and kind of brought them together under one umbrella. So sustainability and our climate action plan is driven by the imperative of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And our uh, ambition is to be a net zero city by 2050. And from our climate assessments, we have a pretty good idea of what are the four sectors we need to be focusing our efforts on the most in order to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. So the biggest polluters are, for us, the energy sector and the transportation sector. In addition, the other two pillars, if you will, for the climate action plan is buildings and materials. Um, so that's the climate action plan. And a lot of the work around sustainability really talks about, like I said, reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, cleaner vehicles, more recycling, reducing plastics, circularity, um, energy efficiency of buildings, better building materials, and so on and so forth. And so you'll see that all of these are kind of geared towards reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. Circularity is essentially in, you know, whatever you produce, it kind of goes through a circular economy to be used up. It's the use of materials. The energy that's used in production gets uh, used up through a circular process through reuse, recycling, re-adaptation, uh, uh, multiple things like that. So you're not just producing and wasting. There's waste management in, in a certain sense. Um, our resilience definition has a, a, a broader approach. Um, and the climate action plan in our case kind of becomes a subset within the resilient Houston plan. Okay. So resilience is the capacity of systems or individuals to essentially bounce back from shocks and stresses. And we don't just define resilience in the in the context of climate resilience, but it is resilience related to um, underlying socioeconomic stresses as well. So the socioeconomic disparities um, in our city um, and having an equitable approach to both resilience and sustainability is, big, is a big part of how we look at resilience. So equity is really at the heart of our Resilient Houston plan, and that's why the Resilient Houston plan is that umbrella approach within which the climate action plan tucks in. Okay, well, that makes sense. Obviously, there's a need uh, for the city of Houston to emphasize resilience and sustainability. What are some of the challenges that are specific, that are unique to your city? I would say, um, you know, when we started looking at all of this in the format of a combined office, one of the first things we did was, um, as I as I was just talking about, we need to be strategic about implementation, right? And so we looked at both of the plans. We took all of the actions in the plants that speak to building that community resilience, the resilience of systems uh, on the one hand, and on the other, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So everything related to uh, you know, that imperative, which is in the sustainability plan. 
we put it all together, took it apart and put it together again. And ultimately we have a very detailed climate impacts assessment, right? But yeah. the key priorities or the areas where we want to push is all ties back to four key programmatic areas. It's heat, water, it's energy and transportation. So if you look at the climate action plan, it's driven by the imperative of becoming a net zero city by 2050. And the most polluting sectors in Houston, and if you're a Houstonian, this is a lived reality because we see this every day. Transportation contributes to almost 50% of our greenhouse gas emissions, and energy is another big part of that pie. So almost another half of our greenhouse gas emissions come from the use of energy. So both of those sectors are absolutely key if we have to be a net zero city by 2050. And of course, we know Houston's propensity towards hurricanes, as you said in your introduction. Yeah, yeah. The reason that we are flat topographically, we have an intense and extensive network of bayous. We are a coastal city and we are heavily populated. And I know we'll talk about population and density in a minute, but all of these make for um, a, a lot of urban um, flooding uh, the least of which is not related to, you know, when you are in literally, like you said, in the eye of a storm. So how we manage water, uh, stormwater mitigation, our flood resilience portfolio is a huge focus area for Houston. And of course, with the summer that we've had, um, especially this last one, how we manage heat, especially in our most vulnerable communities, is also a big area of focus uh, for Houston. You mentioned uh, population. Houston is the fourth largest city in the U.S. It's also one of the fastest growing cities. What, what role does Houston's population growth play in the city's resilience and sustainability efforts? So you're absolutely right, David. It is the fourth largest city. And, you know, you can't tell the Houston story without talking about population growth. Um, so to share a few um, statistics on Houston's population and population growth, the city of Houston is home to about 2.3 million people and the greater Houston region, which has uh, about eight counties. Um, it's either the eight county region or the 13 county region, but the greater Houston region is home right now, I think, to almost 7.1 million people. And if our current population growth trends continue to hold, um, we will be probably crossing the 10 million mark by the time uh, 2040 rolls around. So. Again, like I said, it's something that you always have to consider when you tell the Houston story. Um, there's also been a lot of migration towards Texas, towards you know the big metropolises in Texas from other states. So that's a big part of um, the growth patterns that we are seeing. How does one balance um, this growth? Because part of growth and part of population growth is being big economic engines and drivers for the region and for the state. So the question from the Office of Resilience and Sustainability that we ask ourselves is how do we manage to continue to grow sustainably, um, have this be a place where you can provide that quality of life for folks that are moving to the region? At the same time, how does this growth happen in a way where we address equity, where we ensure that the most vulnerable communities are able to address and withstand and recover and thrive beyond the shocks and stresses that they are exposed to? So I think it's finding that balance between growth and making it happen in a way that's sustainable and equitable, I think that is going to be that balancing act that we face ourselves uh, with every day. You mentioned equity, and I, was, I wanted to talk about uh, social equity. I know it's factored into Houston's approach to resilience and sustainability. 
how are some communities in Houston more at risk from the effects of climate change than others? So one of the very interesting data points I often share about equity in Houston is, again, you can't tell the equity story uh, unless we talk about diversity. So Houston is one of the most diverse places I personally have um, lived in, and uh, one in four Houstonians is born outside of the United States. Um, we have, I think, almost 175 different languages that are spoken in the city. So it is a huge multicultural metropolis. But when it comes to equity, there's another metric that I often like to quote. Um, we did a quick analysis of um, life expectancy across zip codes in Houston. And we saw that two zip codes, which are literally just probably about a couple of miles apart, the life expectancy difference is, is two decades, 20 years. And that's a yawning gap for two places that are so, you know, like literally neighbors. Yeah. That just kind of goes to show that equity is something that one needs to keep front and center. Um, and it's a challenge that a lot of big growing cities face. And we have to understand that the resilience of a city really is the resilience of our most vulnerable communities. So we look at it in a few different ways. So there are some places that are just more prone to heat or to say flooding. And we have maps where we have looked at the floodplains, uh, where properties have, have faced repetitive flooding, where there has been building in the floodplain, the 100 and the 500 year flood maps are being revised. So just by, you know, by dint of where you're located, you have, you know, you're a community that faces that risk. Um, it could also be heat risk because we are in a place where you don't have enough total canopy cover, where there's a lot of paving, where there aren't enough shade structures. Um, and you can see some, um, you know, the effects of pretty drastic effects of urban heat islands. And we have those maps. So you have that place based, um, you know, kind of just by location, you are exposed to uh, higher flood risks or uh, higher heat impacts. But on the other hand, there is also this underlying vulnerability that comes from socioeconomic status. Um, a, a lot of proxies of socioeconomic vulnerability are probably, you know, when you look at incomes or educational attainment or um, access to transportation, access to fresh food, are you in a food desert? So there is that kind of vulnerability as well. And when you put both of these together, you would see that some communities have a much harder time in, um, in not just being able to respond to climate risks, but also being able to respond to just underlying socioeconomic gaps and just not having that access to opportunity at the end of the day. So there is that disparity. And for us, when we think about implementation, ensuring that we are thinking about allocating resources in a way that's equitable, that addresses um, the climate risks as well as the socioeconomic disparities, that's a very key push um, in everything that we do. So, so I imagine a, a city like Houston probably has a lot of large infrastructure projects that will address uh, the effects of climate and such, but it sounds like a lot of this has to be done at the community level. What are some of the ways that you can strengthen climate resilience at that level? David, I'm so glad you asked me that because more and more in our work, I personally am really excited by the efforts that speak to building resilience at the neighborhood level. So in our climate action plan, um, which is organized along these four sectors and the Resilient Houston plan, we acknowledge the fact that all of these efforts need to be 
implemented across multiple scales. For instance, if you look at the Resilient Houston plan, we do need to have the large networks, for instance, the Bayou network, the transportation network. We do need to think about resilience at the level of, like you said, like infrastructure improvements across um, networks and across systems. But if you don't balance that with building resilience, capacity and strength at the level of a household or a street or a neighborhood or in a community parks, then you're not going to have the outcomes that one would desire in making the entire city uh, resilient to climate shocks and just general stresses. So these um, community level resilience efforts are something that we're paying a lot of attention to. And I'll give you a few examples, and I think we can later on in the conversation, hopefully, you know, kind of do a deeper dive um, into Very some cool. of them. For instance, we have two studies that are going on right now, and both of these are driven by a lot of community engagement. They are both federally funded studies uh, from the Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery uh, Funding. We started on these um, earlier this year. One of them is to think about a citywide network of resilience hubs. So a resilience hub is a community trusted location where community members use as a community resource, even on blue sky days. So it's a place of familiarity. It's a place of support and um, it's a place where community members uh, can go to for various kinds of services and just having that sense of kind of civic engagement, right? Yeah. So we're working on that at the same time. One of the action items from the Resilient Houston plan is to develop 50 neighborhood resilience plans. So we just kicked that off a few months back and we are looking at three neighborhoods, which also is coordinated with the mayor's Office of Complete Communities. So the mayor's Complete Communities program has identified 10 uh, vulnerable neighborhoods and the planning of you know, developing these resilience plans. We do a lot of coordination with that office as well. So we have that work, which is on a slightly different scale. So one is citywide uh, doing the master plan, and then the other one is at the level of a neighborhood. What are some of the resilience strategies uh, that one can be um, kind of implementing? In addition, we have the pilot program that we are working with um, Zurich on, also related to neighborhood resilience. We are working on a couple of um, pocket prairie projects as well as urban prairie projects. Uh, all of these speak to developing resilience and empowering communities um, at the level of, you know, an individual historian. So to me personally, these are really, really impactful projects. It sounds like there's a lot on the table for you there in Houston. Is this something that the city of Houston tackles on its own? Um, so the answer to that, David, is absolutely not. Um, you know, these are huge ambitions. And what I have found as a practitioner of resilience and sustainability, more so now than ever before, is this traditional approach of project delivery has really changed. And what really has changed is the fact that we have multiple partners you know, to help us advance many of these initiatives. And these are not just partnerships on the public sector side. These are partnerships between the public and the private sector, with the nonprofit sector, with civic groups, with community groups, with educational institutions. So they run the whole spectrum um, actually across the board. And I think that the enduring lesson is if we have to be a more resilient community, it requires multiple people, um, multiple actors and agencies, um, cities and states and even countries uh, to come to the table. Some of the great examples that we have here in Houston is our partnership uh, with the Resilient Cities Network, of which Mayor Turner is the global chair. 
He's also the chair of the Climate Mayors um, Organization, which is a group of mayors across cities in the United States, um, nearly 500 cities. In our daily implementation work of moving projects forward, we have numerous public-private partnerships. One of them is on the Sunnyside Solar Farm, uh, which is a partnership between the city of Houston, between the private sector, between community organizations, educational institutions. We recently signed a memorandum of understanding with the Houston Community College. Uh, the largest network of community colleges here in the Houston region to embed resilience in their curriculum. And all this to say that, you know, like I said, project delivery is now really different uh, from how we used to know it traditionally. And again, it requires multiple people with multiple skill sets and subject matter expertise to come to the table to make this happen. I'm glad you mentioned the program that you're working on with Zurich and Resilience Cities Network. Uh, it's called Resilience for Communities. So I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, our listeners may not be aware of the program. Houston is one of a few North American cities participating in the pilot program. Uh, in short, uh, it's Zurich North America, it's Resilient Cities Network, and the Z Zurich Foundation uh, are collaborating together. It's a multi-year program designed to strengthen climate resilience and help address social inequities in communities. It's community level, it's neighborhood level, it's a focus on resilience and equity. How do you see this program helping the city of Houston and and communities in other cities? So David, something that we have always kept in mind is even as we do this work in neighborhoods, there's a sense of urgency and expediency that's required, right? So we always keep in mind what are our lessons learned and how can we then translate and scale those across multiple communities, you know, to kind of be more efficient and expeditious. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the huge uh, benefits coming out of the Zurich North America program, the Resilience for Communities projects that we're doing. So we identified two communities that were especially vulnerable, not just to flood risks, but also to heat. And this comes out from the work that we've done with heat mapping, as well as, as a lot of the work that the Mayor's Office of Complete Communities um, is doing. So having identified these two communities, we have started engaging with numerous folks from the communities. We've identified community champions. And uh, most importantly, in the collaboration with Zurich, we are going to be piloting an app. Um, I think we're going through the training right now. Um, we are going to be piloting an app that really uh, allows us to understand from a community's perspective what is it that's going to make you more resilient? I think at the end of the day, these are also lessons learned as it relates to community engagement and, and, and public engagement and the work we do in our communities. It shouldn't be external actors, um, even if it's the municipality or anyone uh, on the outside who goes into a community and dictates what makes them resilient. It should be the community charting their own course towards resilience, because at the end of the day, the needs of each community are going to be different. Um, some communities may say it's um, childcare services. Some communities in a food desert might want access to fresh food and fresh food groceries. So I think empowering communities is what I am really most excited about as an outcome of this app that we are going to be piloting. And second of all, learning lessons and engagement and being able to develop some form of uh, an approach or a framework to be able to roll and scale this out to multiple communities. I think those are those are outcomes that are going to be hugely beneficial, not just for Houston, but also, you know, when we think about learning and teaching other cities, 
I think both of those things are something that we are looking forward to. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing some outcomes from the Resilience for Communities program. It's an exciting program. Priya, I want to ask you one final question. How do you see your role evolving? Like, will there be more CROs and CRSOs in the future? Or will resilience and sustainability simply be ingrained in everything we do? Um, David, it's so funny that you asked me that because, you know, on a recent panel, someone asked me something similar, like, you know, what what's your ultimate vision for resilience in the city? And, and I kind of said lightheartedly, it'll be when I don't have a job anymore, uh, when resilience and sustainability is going to be so culturally embedded in everything we do, you won't really need a chief resilience or sustainability officer. So not very different from what you just said. Um, but, you know, not to be flip about it, I think what uh, a lot of our role entails is um, or the, the work that our office does. I mean, of course, we lead projects and we we set the vision and kind of the overall framework on resilience and sustainability. And we remind people that, the, that these are our ultimate goals and our ultimate ambition. But I think we wear multiple hats. We act as conveners um, in our office. We bring multiple parties together. We act as matchmakers sometimes when you see a funding opportunity in one group of stakeholders and, and the need for a project or an initiative on the other hand. So we kind of, you know, we act as matchmakers, kind of bringing both of those together. We act as many times as connective tissue. For instance, when we talk about these um, multi-partnership projects, um, you need to have a party or a group of people that drive the entire process, that can bring multiple stakeholders together, that can drive the overall schedule, that can talk about milestones, that can kind of keep the conversation moving so that we deliver the expected outcomes. So oftentimes that's what our office does. We play multiple roles and, and right now those roles are absolutely critical because our office really owns both of those plans, the Resilient Houston plan and the Climate Action Plan. Um, and of course the hope is as we embark and continue to be on this journey, um, more people are going to join us. I mean, the city of Houston has multiple departments that work with us, so we are already making strides in, in, in progressing towards our resilience and sustainability goals. But the ultimate hope is to bring more and more people to the table and to have this be part of our deeply embedded understanding of where we need to be as a community and as a city. Priya, I wish you continued success, and if that success put you out of work, you can always uh, host a podcast. Thank you, David. I appreciate that. Thanks for taking the time to talking with me today. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to this Future of Risk podcast. I'm David Hogan. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee 
guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.